The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip. We are back, everybody, after a little break for the winter or fall, winter time, uh, holiday season to uh, recharge the batteries for one of the best fantasy players in the game. Got to get him going. He's not the robot, but he's really good friends with the robot. So they probably say like, similar <laughs> DNA in that regard. But uh, we'll get to him in a second. I'm on Twitter at BDM Trick, and my co-host is always the Bat Flip portion of the show on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, my friend? Uh, we're doing really well, Bubba. It's it's uh, it's good to be back here on the show with you. I took a little bit of a breather trying to de-baseball myself, you know, um, for a little bit, kind of get, step back, get a little bit of perspective, but I'm ready to hop back in. I had um, uh, Baskin Robbins ice cream cake uh, oh, today. I had two large slices. I had Baskin <laughs> Robbins ice cream cake yesterday as well. The clown cone Baskin Robbins ice cream oh, cake. Do you know man. what I'm saying? Like, oh with yeah, cool, the old school. Six I, six clown yeah. cones on top of it, and it, there's no cake actually in the. Was cake. it even someone's birthday, or just because you like your sweet? No, this was just for in. fun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. for fun. Yeah. I felt like a snack. <laughs> no, uh, it was it was a double birthday for my boys. Oh, okay, perfect. Uh, the birthdays great. are close enough where we do like the family birthday, where where the local relatives come in uh, all at the same time, cool. uh, November 30th and December 19th. So um, it was it was a lot of fun, but. The ice cream cake is is absolutely delicious. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's well, it's, a, it's kind of like being on the podcast with you. You know, oh, it's, oh, oh, oh. it's the best. I'm so touched. Um, yeah. it, it's great to hear though. While you recharge from baseball, the sweet tooth did not leave. That makes me feel better. Didn't no. think it would, but it's great to hear that it's still going in full force. And that's the beauty of our all of our podcasts, especially the preseason when we're we're previewing. And as people know our schedule by now, when we finish the positions, we'll do another quick preview as all the stuff changes to get you ready. So this is kind of just like a first look theory of what the position looks like and when we get back to catchers 
in, let's say two months, give or take, it'll look a lot different. So just like, this is just to kind of get your feet wet. But the fun thing about a lot of our shows, is I think a lot of people like it. I know I like it. You like it is the tangents we go on with the sweets, with the whatevers, and it turns into a lot of fun with the kids, all the good stuff. So it's good to hear that part has not changed. Uh, and we're going to have some fun with that, of course, as always. Um, yeah. So it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I ran the steamer projection. I, I don't have my G- SGP spreadsheet yet. I ran the steamer projections and, and Baskin Robbins ice cream take. Ice cream cake is right up there at the top of the catcher ranking. So I'm S'mores excited. or ice cream cake? Oh, ice cream cake. Easy. It's like, really? I would have lost a bet. In that I mean, one. I have a little bit of a reputation for s'mores, but yeah. I mean, s'mores on, on the grand scheme of things, they're a fascinating dessert, you know, layered. Well, you dessert. can take them on the fly too. Right. Like an ice cream cake, you have to keep it cold. There's so many steps you to it. You, you need a nice freezer for the yeah. ice cream cake, unless you eat it all at one time, which, which I have a feeling you might be able to do. Just get throw it out there. It's possible. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go back to some more sweet talk as always, but, uh, Let's talk catchers, which to Kobe is a sweet spot. So let's have some fun with this. As everybody knows, we're going to spend two hours on the first catcher, and then we'll kind of breeze through the rest because that's the only one that matters on this show. And for good reason. Like, ever since I've known Toby, this has been his guy. And uh, it's kind of not been wrong. But as a good host says, before we get to that point, what's your rush strategy, I guess? Or I guess we could do strategy, talk more towards the next podcast on catchers. What maybe did you learn from 2022? Because it was a much different season to me when it came to catchers where you still had your elite guys. There's no doubt about it, but there were so many more. You could almost, not as much in 15s per se, but in 12s for sure, you could stream. There was always guys. William Contreras was a free agent. Cal Raleigh was a free agent. Jonah Heim. I guess go down the list. There's so many of them throughout the season. Christian Betancourt. And they all produced. Danny Jansen at times. Like there was guys throughout the season that produced. So what did you learn from 2022 that you might use as a potential strategy as you keep digging in this offseason? Well, I think like one thing, just like even stepping back from the catcher position a little bit is, you know, just thinking about the run environment and what happened with the ball, um, obviously trying to think about and, but not overanalyzing without like appropriate data, what some of the rule changes are going to mean, you know, potentially for, for guys with um, the elimination of the shift, you know, things like that. So need to factor that in. You know, one of the things I think that we saw in 2022 is the increase in value of the home run. And like, relatively speaking, like the decrease, um, the decrease in stolen bases. And then also similarly, like looking at batting average and, and that being something too. So I think more broadly, you know, it's nothing like too dramatic, but just being cognizant of how the run environment shifts, shifts the, you know, shifts where the value is or where sure shifts where, um, what players are worth. And so I think that that's like kind of just one more broad thing. And I think thinking about that, you know, as well, one of the things that I've always been a proponent of, I've always been big on getting catchers early, even two catchers early, if we need to, you know, I think when you look at JTR, um, you look at Varsho, uh, you know, they really stand out so much, um, because of the steals you know? And so I love having a guy like that because it's not just that they have steals, like getting, getting 21, you know, steals from your catcher or getting 15 steals from your catcher is such a big difference than getting the same number of steals from other positions, just because you can find speed, particularly with some of the base running changes, maybe, um, even too, although, you know, it's all, it's all relative. Um, but, 
you can, um, you know, you, when you have speed from your catcher, like there's only so many positions, right. Where you actually have that speed located, where you have a lot of it to choose from. So when you can have that speed coming from the catcher position, I really think that that's just relatively speaking, a huge value add. So I love the idea of having, you know, one of those two players. I don't think it's the only place within catchers where you can get a little bit of speed, obviously, but it's the, it's the primary one where you can do that. And then I think the other thing is just thinking about plate appearances as well. Um, you know, Will Smith, for instance, was a guy that I wasn't that interested in last year because when I looked at kind of how the Dodgers had divvied up the, um, divvied up the DH spots. Like I didn't think that he was going to get the plate appearances that he needed to hit those higher numbers, but you know, like he ended up having, um, one of the highest number of plate appearances last year for a catcher as well. And so I think just kind of considering those things, Sal Perez, you know, obviously playing all the time, you know, we see him drop down a few rounds from last year because of the injury has the skills changed that much. Um, especially in an environment where you see power, um, being more, being more important you know, and also thinking about the managerial change. Like, does that change how they use him? True. So I think there's a lot of those types of elements that, that are really important, but nothing has changed for me. I think one of the things in thinking about, you know, you and Ryan's podcast is, um, you know, on one of the bloom boards or that he shared, you know, around catcher. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this before, but um, uh, Jeff Zimmerman has done some research showing that the projection for plate appearances for catchers is more reliable than other positions. You know, and when we know that a lot of value is tied to plate appearances, I think that's incredibly valuable. I think Ariel Cohen has done some research as well, pointing out the fact that you want to get one of those early catchers or you want to wait a little bit. Staying out of that middle tier is really important. So I think all of those things kind of, for me, uh, have an impact in thinking about getting one of those top catchers, ideally one with speed, but you're going to need to pay a pretty penny for that. Um, and then if you don't kind of hit there, I would probably stay out of the, stay out of the masses where there are like some question marks about how good a player is, um, you know, and, and, and kind of maybe shoot towards the back end of things. So nothing really dramatic is changing. Oh, but the bloom board was so cool because what it showed was like a very tight correlation between ADP and where the catchers actually ended up. So obviously every year there's going to be those guys that come off the wire that outperform question is, can they outperform again? And question is, are you the one who's picking them up at that moment in time of your draft? And so, you know, that for me gave me a little bit more confidence even than I had before about the two early catcher strategy. So whether or not I'll employ that or not, I'm not exactly sure, but I think that um, relatively speaking, you know, there's, there's a good, there's a really good justification for kind of taking that approach. So that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, two early catchers I'm great with, one early catcher I'm probably going to have one of those good ones yeah. though. 100%. That's what it like the bloom board you talked about. Uh, I just finished writing up 56 catchers for the fantasy black book. Um, not all in depth, trust me, because that'd have been a miserable project. But I went through 56, and it was an eye opener because I had to put down games played at each position, and there's so many catchers getting. 10 20 plus games of dh now um so it's like we all kind of hinted at it last year but i think the impact it was even more noticeable you mentioned the plate appearances and um it, it brought to life certain guys like um i know fan graphs like varsho's not on the catcher's page and stuff but i just did plate appearances for last year and if you count varsho as well only six catchers had over 500 plate appearances even with all the dh games so it's still pretty nice but it's still a separating factor where the top end guys do their thing um, JTR is, is the guy, 
uh, as usual. But one thing that stood out a lot, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about it more later, but like Sean Murphy led all of baseball. Uh, yeah, 612 paid appearances, 148 games played. That stood out to me like a sore thumb when I was looking at that because even if he's not elite like those other guys, it's accumulating. And he's, he's just doing it and doing it. So that's why like, when I saw the rumor of him getting traded to Atlanta, I got nervous for a second. But at the same time, I'll get into why I'm not when we start talking about Braves catchers later, depending on the trade. But like that stood out a bunch for uh, Murphy, and it's also an idea. If Murphy gets traded, well, maybe a, trader com- uh, a catcher comes back to Oakland or it opens up like Langoliers or another guy to get a bunch of at-bats later in drafts, something to keep an eye on. Uh, you mentioned the Steels thing, and that's where the bloom board really came in because Ben Tidd uh, mentioned it to us, I think during the show or after the show or something, that Dalton Varsho showed how valuable he was. He was like the second catcher on the player Raider, but he was still a top 20 outfielder on the player Raider. And everybody talks about, I'm only drafting him for catcher, and I guess it makes sense. But that's how good he is offensively, and people are like kind of play it off. So that that's the value of those steals, as you said. Is and I've learned a lot from you in the past. That's why I always try to get at least one early, like you talk about, if not two, but one for sure. Is that elite catcher, especially if they can run? Now, if you're looking for like a power bat later, you can go and draft the Schwarber later because you don't have to get all the steals. And he gave you ten steals, which was great. But like you can get kind of a dead steals guy potentially later in the draft, and it doesn't kill you because your catcher is helping you a little bit. Or you can get a five steal guy here and a five steal guy here, and your catcher elevates you to where you need to be. So it really doesn't. It, it, it helps a ton in that regard. So we'll definitely hit on that more as we uh, go forward in the reviews for this. But the catcher's position. Very top heavy, and for a good reason is the moral of the story. Like they, as long as there's no injury, and you can't predict injury. That's just the way it is. They came through in a big, big way. So that was a very, very cool thing to see. So let's get into it. Got, gotta love those catchers, baby. They're the, the the they're the heart and soul of that team. Um, and let's start with Toby's heart and soul of all of his fantasy teams. Yeah, sure. At least like eighty percent of them, probably. So the one number one last year for sure. The number one catcher off the board with an ADP of around 36 currently in DCs on the 31 that are done so far. JT Real Muto, as you would expect. The dude is amazing. And he was banged up a little bit last year. He was still playing 139 games, which is outstanding. 22 homers, 21 stolen bases. So a 2020 catcher hitting 276. So just a year removed from ever been like, oh, 17 homers, 13 steals, 263. You know, he's. He's only played 134 games. Well, he played in 139 this last year. And um, honestly, Toby, I don't know about you. I know you like him a lot, and I don't see it changing a whole lot. The dude's still one of the fastest players in baseball, barring a, a weird injury because they DH him enough to keep him fresh. That's the beauty of it, and it's a good thing. So I, I think it's pretty simple with JTR, but I'm going to let you wax poetically about your guy. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it was beautiful. I mean – there's not a lot of different words to describe uh, the season last year for, for JTR. Um, and like you mentioned, I mean, not a lot has changed. I would actually argue from a playing time perspective, he's in a better situation this year. You know, we know that Bryce Harper is going to be out for a while, who has taken up all of the DH, you know, um, all the DH opportunities towards the back end of last season. Um, and when he was struggling earlier in the year with, with his arm. And so, um, at least for the first two months of the season, you know, I think you're going to see JTR pretty much playing um, every single day, which I think will be really good. And I would be surprised if they didn't give him a little bit more run than usual at DH as well, given, you know, how far the Phillies went in, in the postseason this year, the additional kind of stress and um, everything that was kind of put on those teams that go deeper in 
I would be surprised if they didn't utilize the DH for him a little bit more, especially with the signing of, you know, Trey Turner. I don't think they're going to do any major things, you know? So when I look at JTR, you know, like the skills have remained relatively similar, you know, um, the plate discipline, the contact rate has actually gone up, even though the O swing. So he's chasing pitches outside the zone a little bit more, but he was at his highest rate this year. So I think it's just one of those questions of, you know, is he, is he getting worse when it comes to plate discipline or do we see kind of, um, him regress the last time he was up close to 35% the following year, he had a 28.1% O swing. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether those are actual like changes in his plate skills or whether it's about the same, you know, the speed, he's not going to steal 20 bases again, probably, but you know, that 10 to 15 range will be very solid with everything else that he provides you. He actually had an increase in his barrel rate. He had 44 last year. So if anything, you know, maybe he got a little bit um, unlucky uh, with his home runs. He does hit a decent amount with a decent amount of power to center and and opposite field. So the ball impacts him maybe a little bit more, but um, you know, all in all, I think it it's all looking up for him. I think he's incredibly safe just because he provides you across the board and the batting average, especially in today's game, again, maybe changing a little bit because of the shift. Um, you know, that's, that's a pretty impressive profile to be able to add at the catcher spot. I, I just drafted him. I'm not even in a draft. I just drafted him just, second just round. Convi- no problem. Yourself. No problem. Yep. I took um, him and Varsho on the turn one, two. That's kind of sexy. Um, I'm just going to mention this because I, I spoke out of turn there. They barely used him as DH last year. Um, he's one of the few catchers. He caught 133 games, DH three times, played first base three times. Those were his 139. Um, so like you said, if you start playing those DHs because of Harper being out of there, you might get seven, six to seven games a week, which really ups that ante, which keeps him fresher for the back end of the season when Harper comes back. And that could just change the whole should make it hopefully when Harper comes back. Well, he's going to DH for a bit and then play the outfield. So that could be t- tremendous uh, for the JTR world, as you said. So, I mean, and just what you said, like, so essentially with Real Muto, barring injury, you're looking at 550 plate appearances at as least, like yeah. kind of like the min that like you're going to get without D without him DHing. So it's only, all, upside, he, it's only upside from there. He's one of the few catchers where you could probably look at a steamer 600 and be like, that's possible. That's legit possible. That's unlike, un, unlike most catchers where the, especially before the DH, you're like, Oh, 400, 450. That's a great season. JT can get 600 and not be surprised. So that'll be fun to check out. Mm. Let's talk about the number two catcher on fantasy baseball drafts right now at ADP of 54.6, almost 20 picks after JTR is one Dalton Varsho who um, had a great, great season, played in 151 games, 27 homers, 16 steals, only at 235. That was a fluctuating season. Like you're a graph guy, Toby. He was an up and down deal, but power and speed was there. And one thing with him is we got lucky. He got 31 games just inside the number we need, 114 games in the outfield, 15 games at DH, and if um, things seem like they're going to stay the same, he might be that 30 to 40 game catcher again this next year. And it might just be a thing. Hopefully, hopefully he doesn't land on 29. That'll be super frustrating. But I think um, it's 20. I think it's 20 for NFBC. Oh, it's only 20 now. Well, then we're golden. Someone tried telling yeah. me 30 the other day. Okay, it's 10. Cool. I think it's 10 in season and 20. <sighs> 10 20 in season overall. for sure. Yeah. 10 in season for sure. Um, then perfect. Uh, he should make it every time then. And barring something crazy. So Varsho is an awesome guy. As much as I love JTR, if I somehow miss him, I have zero problem taking Varsho around later or something because I believe this is what he is. Banged the drum a lot last year. Some were on board, some were not. It turned out to be very good. I don't see that. 
again, average might not be there, but the power speed's undeniable in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with Varsho is it's, it, I think it's a really good example. One of the great things about being right on a player, you know, is you get to focus on when you were right on the player and ignore all the people you got wrong. That's yes. one of the great things about having a podcast, honestly, Bubba, is Definitely. just talk about the victories. All right. But one yeah. of the things about Varsho, you know, I, I went into my, to the projections and I updated his playing time, I think to only 500 plate appearances. And he was like the 47th best player or something like that. And so really like, I, I think that's just like one kind of lesson is if you see that, if you see that playing time, you know, and, and, um, you know, is manually adjusting, you know, and not just going by that. You can make mistakes in the same way. Don't get me wrong. So I'm, I'm partially kidding, but like with a guy like Varsha, where you can see, like, if you see a catcher and you're like, Hey, I want to see what I see a ceiling with this guy. You know, I want to see what, you know, what it looks like if he gets up to that, you know, there's a couple catchers we're going to talk about later. Like what if he gets up to that 400, 500 plate appearances, as opposed to the 300, the 250, you know, that people are projecting him to, that's one thing that you can do to really get a good sense of, of where his value will be. The thing that I love about Varsho is part of what you mentioned. I mean, he played a lot in the outfield, but he was gold glove caliber center fielder. I mean, Tom, uh, Tom Tango, that's his name, right? Yeah. Tom he did Tango, like, yeah. uh, he shared like his spreadsheet and he was like, Dalton Varsho gets everything he should. And he just misses the things that are impossible. Like those are the only balls that he misses in center field. And so that gives him so much value, so much utility on the team that you're going to see him in the lineup just because defensively he's either the backup catcher or he's the stud, you know, center fielder. And so I think that's really you know, kind of a key thing with Varsho and his playing time seems pretty, pretty set. I don't see that fluctuating um, too dramatically. You know, the plate skills are are solid. Like they've been consistent throughout his time in the big leagues, you know, not great plate discipline, but his contact rate is, you know, at um, uh, around league average at least. Um, so that's one of the things, the one thing that I didn't get to check out before that I was interested in, um, you know, for barrels, he had 40 barrels last year with 27 home runs. So maybe you see a little bit of regression there, but nothing too much. You know, the steamer projection of 24 home runs, 15 steals, 582 plate appearances makes a ton of sense to me. And that's just incredibly valuable. The one thing that I wanted to check out, of course, while we were, while we're on the air here, because I think that's the only time to ever <laughs> check things out was just what his, what the impact of the shift might be. Um, uh, on, on, on Varsho. Um, so like with his batted balls, for instance, like if we look at, um, uh, ground balls, um, taking a look at his BABIP on ground balls when he shifted, um, you know, so like 208, uh, well, oh man, I should have done this before. I would have just looked at his career, but last three calendar seasons. Well, anyways, He's, um, so just seeing if there's like a difference there versus when he was not shifted, um, because he is a lefty. Um, and I remember seeing him, uh, hit, um, and well, maybe, maybe he's got worse with no shift. Anyways, this is why we look at things beforehand, but I'm just saying he's a left-handed batter. They shift him, I believe. Um, and so it'd be really interesting to see. Um, what that impact is going to be on his bat. If I don't think anything, it's going to be anything crazy or dramatic, but with these left-handed hitters, um, I think it's important to, uh, 
to be mindful of that. So all around Varsho is excellent. Um, I see no reason why he would regress. The only slight concern I have is like looking at his 40 game rolling average, his skills over his last 40 games was, was pretty putrid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, whether that's just kind of the natural ebbs and flows of him, uh, or whether it's a skill thing, I, I'm not, I'm not too concerned. Yeah, I'm not super concerned. The average like took a major drop, and the power is up and down. But I, I, I'd have to look. I'm just kind of guessing here from what I remember. The power was better towards the end, at least, but the average still was a little not great. So definitely some things need to change. But that could just be pitchers figuring him out. Now he's going to figure them out. That's what young kids have to do. So we'll see how it plays out. But that power speed will play a catcher. There's no denying that. The third catcher off the board, one Will Smith. You mentioned him earlier out of the Dodgers. Picked three picks after Varsho at 57. Uh, Will Smith, uh, 24 home runs, one whole stolen base. Struck out only 16.6% of the time, which is pretty nice at 260. And you mentioned earlier with the DH, he only caught 109 games, DH 25 games. So that is a nice little rotation to get a catcher because the catcher sweet swap, I mean, at 130 plus, that's beautiful. Another thing I, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head now, but when I did the, the black book, there were like, 26 i think catchers that played in 100 or more games and but there was only like 12 or 13 i think it was 130 plus or something like that was, there i broke it all down in the book but there's like a there's some quick device like there's a heavy top and then it just stretched out to like you can see the platoons down below but still 26 or 100 plus is big compared to years past so it just shows you the, the variance will smith getting those dhs was big for him i don't really see that changing at all yeah, I mean, Will Smith is just incredibly consistent. It's it's almost I took it's a almost big L mind, on took it's a big almost mind boggling. Like his numbers just across the board are so consistent. He's so consistently good. Um, you know, and I don't see those plate appearances going away. You know, the Dodgers are probably going to be worse offensively than they were last year. Um, and so, so I mean, they will be, right? Yeah, I mean, Trey Turner. Yeah, no, no Trey Turner. I mean, that's a no huge. Cody Bellinger. That's, that's a huge, huge ding. Blow. I mean, Cody. You never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think Will Smith is just like a. I mean, he's. I mean, he's beautiful. Like he's great. Like he's. You kind of know what you're going to get. Like you're going to get a guy who hits around 260. You're going to get a guy who hits you 25 home runs, 60 to 70 runs. You know, 80 plus RBI, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're good with entering the world of no steals, which like you said earlier, there's a few guys that will steal you a couple bags throughout catchers, but you pretty much passed over the top two guys that are going to help you. So now you're going good average because the average bad average in baseball last year is like 234. So you're not getting a catcher. It's 260, which is very, very nice. Plus that power, plus the run production that'll take place in that Dodgers lineup. It's a big, big plus for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I like the Will Smith call. Quite a bit. We'll see how he goes. But I took the big L because I was not a Will Smith guy before. All right. Let's go to Salvi Perez, fourth catcher off the board at pick 65. <coughs> Sorry. Um, he got injured a lot last year. Missed a lot of time. Still hit 23 home runs, hit 254. So the average is down a bit from the last two years. Power was still okay considering the amount of playing time he had. Um, still doesn't walk. Does not walk at all. But he caught 77 games and DH'd in 40 games. And with MJ Melendez in town, we might see Salvi play a ton of DH, which kind of makes me want to buy back into not being the guy we saw two years ago that played 161 games at 40 home runs or almost 50 homers, but a guy that can maybe play 140-plus games 
and hits you 30 plus homers. I think it's a real possibility with Salvi if he's DH. I think he's at DH at least half his games, if not more. So this could be a big, big thing for Salvi. Yeah. And I mean, this is, I think, where it comes into like, you know, with, with Will Smith, it's like he's really good and he's super steady. And, but do you draft him ahead of Salvador Perez, you know, and the potential upside that you have there? And knowing that if he's healthy, I mean, Sal's going to do as much probably more damage than Will Smith will, but he's got more health issues throughout his career. Is that something that could happen again or not? Is his body, you know, starting to break down a little bit? I don't know, but he's still performing. And so I think that's the question with, um, with both Sal Perez and then with Abdi Rutschman as well is pretty similar profiles to what you get with Will Smith. So the question is like, do you jump on Will Smith a little bit earlier to go after that consistency? Cause you know, he's really good. Or do you go maybe a little bit more upside with Rutschman and, and with Salvi and, um, you know, and, and get to wait a little bit, get to wait around um, to decide or just take the best of the three, whichever one falls. Yeah. That's not the worst thing to do. It makes you feel better. Cause like I didn't have to make the tough choice, but um, I'm with you. Cause I, I think Salvi's in for a nice bounce back. I think he's around the, I'm glad you mentioned Adley. Cause that's the conundrum I've had right now is Salvi and Adley. Um, and I don't know if it's my, like, I, I've, I've did not, I've told, I've said, I don't have the Will Smith bias anymore. I'm, I'm completely off that board but I still think Salvi and Adley are ahead of Will. And that's nothing against Will Smith. Like you said, that's still a great option if it falls to you in that order. Nothing wrong with that at all. But Salvi, I legit think, is a 30-plus home run guy with that DH coming into play with MJ Melendez sliding in. And then you mentioned Adley Rushman. He's the fifth catcher off the board um, at ADP of about 69.70. So like five picks after Salvi. So from Will Smith to Adley, you have a 12-pick difference. Everyone's kind of just like just kind of go, go, go on those three at that point in time. And even if you throw Varsho in there, Varsho, Smith, Perez, Rushman, it's a 15 pick. It's a one round difference because DCs are 15 team leagues for those keeping track at home. And you got Adley, you played in 113 games last year, 13 homers, four steals, hit 254. But what I loved about him, a 13.8% K, uh, walk rate, 18.3% strikeout rate in his first full season, his first period in the bigs. And he started off very slow and then he really got comfortable. He, he called good games around the plate and his bat followed. I think that's just going to get better because he's the prospect pedigree is there and he lead off with some talent in the minors in college. Um, and he can run a little as we saw, which he really didn't do before, but the, he's young and it doesn't surprise me because the Orioles, at least he last year's Orioles ran a lot. So that could be a philosophy there as well. Um, Adley's that one, like you said, is, you know, the difference between Adley and, and Salvi, Salvi's probably a little more power. Adley can get a little more steals. Averages might be closer than you think. Um, and that's what makes that discussion very interesting between those two compared to the Will Smith one. So I like Adley a lot going forward, and I'm kind of torn on the Adley-Salvi thing. What are you thinking about Adley? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of agree with what ADP has going right now with Adley being a little bit behind. I do think that there's more, you know, there's a higher ceiling there just because, you know, development isn't linear. So we could see him still take another huge step. I mean, one thing that's interesting between uh, those guys, you know, when you look at um, home runs per plate appearance, uh, so this is steamer projected home runs per plate appearance. Salvador Perez is number four. Um, and that is, oh, let me just make sure I have the right thing going on here. Um, sorry, I was looking at my, uh, at my beautiful last year stats instead of this year's stats. Um, so even still Salvi's number four at 5.08% home runs per plate appearance, right? So he's way up there. Will Smith is 
seventh, you know, 4.75. Now to get to Rutschman, you got to go pretty far down. He's at only 3.28 home runs per plate appearance. So his 19 home runs and 579 um, projected plate appearances for, for Rutschman. So I do think that there's a pretty significant difference in terms of at least what his projected power is. Uh, the steals, as you mentioned, are really nice, but if we're factoring in that, you know, you know, power, like, especially like thinking about Salvi, right? Like the power that we know Salvi can hit and the value that home runs have relative to steals, you know, maybe you go for the, the baked in more, um, home runs at that point in time than you do for the steals since they're not significant and you're not quite sure how much you're going to be able to rely on them. That said, you could see Rutschman take a bump up in batting average, right? Because of the K rate um, being so low, you get something that's pretty rare with catchers. You get a high runs per plate appearance because of the OBP, you know, where he's going to be hitting in that Orioles lineup. You mentioned the DH opportunities as well. So again, I think there's there's a pretty high ceiling if he takes that next step um, for sure. Like we don't, I don't think there's like a huge limit on his power. He just hasn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily show it last year and the projections aren't seeing it. Um, so again, like I think, you know, Rutschman versus Will Smith for me is like pretty easily Will Smith, but I can see where those three, you know, in a, in a matter of relative value, I think they're all, all really solid. Yeah. In reality, I say, I said the last two years after season reviews of my teams, power is always a weakness of mine. So I should probably just take Salvi or Will Smith and walk away. That should be my easy answer because that finding a catcher is going to be 25 plus home runs. Pretty good way to start things off. Just something about Adley. And I didn't take Adley in my first draft. I'm doing, I just, it was very tempting, very, very tempting. But uh, I, I could see myself, I mean, this would be a fun one to watch throughout the season because I could see all three of those guys like playing out in different, like it's a very good grouping, as you said, a very, very good grouping. And that gets us through the top five. And then we get a drop about. 34 picks, 35 picks to Wilson Contreras at an ADP of 104. And Wilson's still looking for a home. He's like on the island with Tom Hanks right now, just looking for a home, yeah. trying to figure it out. Um, he hit 22 home runs last year, stole four bags. Always gives you about four or five steals usually. It's like That's the thing that he's going to do for you. Hit 243, was injured for quite a bit, played 72 games behind the plate, 39 games at DH. We just don't know where he's going. I'd imagine he's still a guy that will get a lot of DH at bats because you want that bat in the lineup. But, um, you know, he's rumored to St. Louis, which would play him quite a bit, as we've seen in the past. Um, I, th- I think wherever he goes, he's obviously the number one, but it just depends on how much is he DH. I'd say probably 20 games or so. So he's still an elite option. But uh, I'm, 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 I guess I'm always torn on the guys that haven't signed somewhere yet on what I'm doing with them. Yeah, I mean, I think Contreras, like I'm normally a big Wilson Contreras fan. I don't know if I'm as big of a Wilson Contreras fan. I feel like depending on where he ends up. Like I read a, a, an article, I think it was Ken Rosenthal, who was talking about the Astros being interested yeah. um, in Contreras to play catcher, but then also to play left field. So mm. if he ends up in a situation like that, where you see his plate appearances going up, you know, higher than the kind of 480 that he's been at consistently with the Cubs the last little bit, then I think you bump him up. But I think we're at the point where we've kind of seen in a lot of ways who Wilson Contreras is. And I think that's a pretty good catcher, but I'm not sure that he does anything quite well enough. Again, the, the situation could change that, but I'm not sure he does anything quite well enough where I really want to spend this type of a draft pick 
on him probably just given some of the other players that are available later on. And it's cause it's like, you know, when you think about like a Cal Raleigh, you're like, ah, this guy's going to crush my batting average probably, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's probably true. Um, but Contreras isn't necessarily contributing that much to your batting average. And I think Raleigh is showing us that there's a higher ceiling for the home runs. And so thinking about the relative value of home runs at this point in time, then maybe you want to wait and go after a guy who maybe has a little bit more or has a pretty similar power, but maybe some question marks elsewhere, just because you're passing up some really good players at, at this point in time. So, um, you know, for me, I, I, I normally would have loved Contreras here. It'll depend on where he ends up. But at this point in time, I, I don't think I, I really want to snag him here. Yeah, so far in the draft I'm doing, I passed on him a couple times and waited for one of these next couple catchers to to jump on because I got to that uh, kind of similar feelings to what you have is, you know, if I'm gonna take a bad average hit, well, I can get a little upgrade out here, maybe a little less power, blah blah blah. So and I just don't know where he's gonna play, and it, it, the bugs the heck out of me. It really does because what if he goes to the Giants? He is rumored to be even talking to the Giants. As good as he is, it's not a great bump. Like it's not gonna be great. So that 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 would stink as well. So I'm just kind of nervous in those regards. Um, next catcher off the board, and this has been a fun one already because all off season. The, the, there's still the crew that loves Alondo Kirk. The dude's awesome. He's great. But there's also some very smart people that are pointing out some flaws that we saw towards the end of the season. He's got an ADP of around 106, 107 right now. Did still hit 14 home runs, hit 285, struck out 10.7% of the time while walking 11.6. That's elite, especially from a catcher. Got 78 games, DH 51. They wanted that bat in the lineup. And that's what you're going to keep getting from him. Um, and hopefully, you know, Danny Jansen will talk about later. Stays healthy to just let Kirk DH. That'd be great. But um, Kirk's interesting, Toby, because when you dig into kind of what took place at the end of the year, the contact was more ground ball contact, a little weaker contact as the season went on. End of the season with a pretty high uh, ground ball rate, which still a, an easy flick, and he changes the elevation a little bit, and next you know he's got twenty home runs or something like they're, they're, that's not. He's still hitting them a hard. Like that's still a thing. So it's an interesting thing that took place at the end of the year like do you we read too much into it or do we say this guy's still an elite plate discipline guy an elite contact person and we just roll with that because he's still super young and super productive you want to know who's saying that about alejandro kirk kirk who same people who are like vlad jr is going to make this huge jump in his ground ball rate yeah true no i mean i'm just i'm just who said that who Um, said that not me. I, I always <laughs> knew Vladito was going to be great. Uh, he's going to be super overrated this year, though. Just going to go on record again. I'm ready for my second tour of shame in three years. Um, for Kirk, uh, no, I mean, I think the thing for Kirk is, I mean, the ground ball rate is is very high. I mean, there's no, there's no arguing with that. But if you draft him, you know, if you draft him... The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Like, I think there's ceiling there, and I think the batting average is legit, right? He, the guy doesn't strike out. Part of the reason why he has a uh, higher batting average is because of the ground ball, right? Now, the question becomes, like, do you think that he is going to be in the big leagues, like, uh, 48% ground ball rate guy? Or do you think that he might, you know, be closer to some of the numbers that he put up in in the minors, right? Like, 44.3, 41.3, Um, You know, so if he can get down in that area, right, that's going to bump him up a number of home runs yep. um, per year. But even with that, like, 285, he had 14 home runs. You know, he's playing, like, a ton, right? 541 plating plate appearances for a catcher. He had 28 barrels and he only had the 14 home runs. So he's a little bit under, you know, maybe what you might expect from that. Um, so you have batting average, you have a little bit of power ceiling. He's not going to steal bases, but he's in a good blue Jays lineup. Um, you know, so I think you just got to understand when you're building your team that you're maybe not counting on as many home runs, but you're counting as on the batting average. And for me, it's like, I look at him and Wilson Contreras and I'd go Kirk, all the time because I think the the ceiling is higher, higher. The plate appearances are higher. You have that batting average. So what you're what you're hoping for is that those home runs get into twenty to twenty five range. And if that happens with the batting average that he has, yep, you know, I mean, that's like an incredibly valuable player at the catcher position. Um, he jumps sure. Will Smith. So, yeah, to I mean, me, to me, so, yeah, if he's putting twenty five homers in that average, that jumps Will Smith for me, but. So, yeah, I mean, it just it just depends what what. It's a lot of yeah. what ifs. It's a lot of yeah, what yeah, ifs. yeah, yeah. But yeah, like when I said I passed on Contreras in my draft, I took Kirk. I, I had the option. I took Kirk over Contreras. Um, might be wrong. Might be right. I like it. Well, I, I mean, the thing it's the ground ball rate. I think he comes back down to earth. No pun intended with ground ball. Like I think it's going to happen, and that I can see. Let's say five more home runs. Now we're close to twenty, like you said, and that's a game changer. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, what one of the one of the things that I'm trying to think about this year is I'm trying to think about drafting good players. <laughs> uh, it seems like a joke, Bubba, but I feel like sometimes, especially with the type of analysis that I do, uh, it's a little like sometimes it's like it's like a good example is Paul Goldschmidt last year, right? Yep. Yep. Paul Goldschmidt last year, you and I had conversations about him. Everything looked great. It all looked beautiful. It looked wonderful. Everything looked good, great, fantastic. And yet, how many teams did I end up with him on? I think I ended up on one with him on one team. And that was a standalone league, you know, where I wasn't as conscious about building a balanced team. And that was the team that won that also had JTR. And it's like, sometimes you just got to like, be like, you want to know something? I'm going to count on this guy like a Will Smith where I know what I'm going to get. And it may not be sexy. It may not have the same ceiling, but I'm going to get that guy and I'm just going to get him because he's good and because I can plug him in there and I, and I can try to target upside elsewhere. So there's also that kind of train of thought, which I'm trying to be a little bit more open-minded to yep. in thinking about how I'm, how I'm building out my team. So I will say that, but I agree. I mean, Kirk, 
there's a lot of potential there. Yep. And again, like, I mean, he could be traded like Danny Jansen, who we'll talk about later could be traded. Gabriel you know, Moreno they have, they could be options. traded. I mean, like there's a lot of opportunity there. hundred percent. So yeah, we'll wait and see how that goes, but uh, love Kirk, love Kirk again this year. Eighth catcher off the board. Another Royal, two Royal catchers in the top eight. MJ Melendez pick 113 catcher outfit eligible because he played 78 games at catcher, 38 games at the outfield, 23 games at DH. And a lot of those games, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know from DFS, a lot of them are at leadoff, folks. He was at the top of that order, which is weird because he walked, because he has you know, 313 OBP because he walked 12% of the time, but 217 bad average. Just creeped into, I guess, an okay leadoff hitter, but it was the Royals too. So remember that. But still 18 homers, two stolen bases. He ran a little bit in the minors, not a ton, but that was reasonable. But the runs will be there. He's got the pop. I think we see the batting average come back. We saw him hit really good in the minors uh, up before last year. Last year he struggled in the minors as well. But prior to that, was a very good hitter in the minors. I think there's a lot to like with Jim Melendez. We need him to stay healthy to keep Salvi at DH. Um, there's kind of a, a yin and a yang thing here. I don't know if I can take him as the eighth catcher, but again, if he starts hitting for a better average, that just means more power and more run score. Like there's a lot to like with the Melendez because the Royals are going to keep putting him out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like Melendez a lot. Um, again, like I think it's a pretty similar discussion to um, like, he's one of the reasons I don't like Contreras either this year, really, because I see a pretty similar profile, yeah, I could see but that. him being younger and more with more upside, you know? Um, I mean, the plate skills are great. Great plate discipline. The contact rate is, you know, it's a little slightly below league average, but it's fine. Like it's good enough. Um, you know, he's uh, hits the ball in the air a decent amount. Um, he had 35 barrels you know, only 18 home runs. So again, around 50% barrel per home run rate, which is uh, relatively low, um, even for the league. And so there's some, po there's some possibility there. Like he kind of checks all of the boxes. And I think, whereas with Contreras, we kind of know what we've seen with him. I think, um, you know, with Melendez, like, I think the floor is pretty, I mean, the floor is obviously him, like going back to the minors or something like that, but I think that that's highly doubtful for a guy that they see as being a, a key part of their future. And so with him playing, I think, um, I think there's a lot to like, and, and I think there's, there's a lot of potential ceiling there. Um, and again, you know, left-handed batter, um, you know, I tried to do a little bit more research this time. So, you know, he's, he's much better when he's not facing the shift. Yeah. So whether how much of an impact again, that will have is probably not that much, but it does impact where he was weakest last year, which is batting average. Yeah. So I it literally, it's so simple to me with him is just, if he can get even 20 hit two forty, and that's going to be a game changer. I think he legit could, he, he could hit two forty pretty easily. I think so. MJ Melendez, another guy that could be on the rise. This is why the catcher's position is so deep compared to years past for me, still the elite guys up top, but it's like, if you just happen to miss out, you're not dead yet. Like there's still some pretty good. That's why you feel good getting like one guy up top. And like one guy out of the next like top twelve or so, and I'm very confident in taking those two to, to battle. So that's where that's where I, I like this this setup this year. Ninth catcher off the board, a really big guy, Toby. Really Huge. big guy. Huge. This guy, guy what is he? Uh, like six, six four two twenty five. <laughs> Tyler Stevenson. He is huge. ADP of one thirty five. Huge. Sucks because he got hurt multiple times as a 
flukish injuries last year. So only played in 50 games, six home runs, one steal, hit 319. We talked about it going into last season, his hit tool, his hard hit rates, his whatever you wanted were outstanding. He plays first base, he catches, he'll DH. So as long as he can stay healthy, and there were some fluky injuries. I'm going to just – he got like a foul tip off his hand, and that's catcher's injuries, so I shouldn't say too fluky. It's a catcher's injury. But they weren't like he pulled a hamstring or, you know, is oblique or something. If he's healthy, come opening day, which he should be, this potentially could be a guy that you get some serious value on because last year he was, I believe, was going much higher than this. So I like Tyler Stevenson quite a bit right now. Yeah, um, I know. I, I was down on him last year. I was I was kind of wrong. I got lucky with the with – the, I didn't get lucky with the injury, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. I was just wrong on him. Um, yeah, Stevenson's he's um, he's interesting to me because um, a lot of the qualities like so far he's got 600 plate appearances and that 296 batting average, those 18 home runs, you know, which is really nice, you know, 84 and 86. So you think if this guy catches and plays first base, a little bit of DH, you know, he gets up to those that 500 to 600 plate appearances, he could be great. So um, I don't I don't hate it at all. Um, I do think, you know, his career BABIP is 358. He hit four, he had a 409 BABIP last year. And so you may be saying, well, he's got the career high BABIP, but it, we've also only got 605 plate appearances. Um, and I'd really have to think about like, why exactly does Tyler Stevenson have, like, why would he have a higher BABIP than usual? Is it, is he hitting a lot of line drives? Is he, you know, I'm not quite sure what would make him as a guy who's not really like has a super high quality batted ball, you know, like, I mean, his, his barrel rate is 5.9, you know, he's got, uh, he's got 18 home runs on 24 barrels, you know, so like 75% home run per barrel rate. Um, you know, there's nothing batted ball quality to me that would really point to him, um, having a 358 Babbitt. So I think that's why you see steamer regressing the batting average so high to 257 but even still i mean maybe that's a little bit low for him and you know the power again is 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 okay so i think he's like all around he'll be he should be fine um i don't know about at this spot or not like whether i would whether i would dive in at this spot or not it's tricky because of the injuries but i think i think it's safe to say if he plays 130 plus he's gonna be a heck of a fantasy catcher that's a big yeah. if. Obviously, it's a big if, but like he's got that that talent, like a batting average alone, he could be a Kirk or better level, which we don't see a lot of catcher positions. So that's big. I think that'll be the key because he doesn't really have a standout skill otherwise, and the Reds are going to be yeah. pretty bad. Although it's obviously a great, great park to hit in. So. Yep. Yeah, so I'll have to keep an eye on him as the offseason goes on. The 10th and final catcher we'll talk deeply about in the top 10, obviously, is William Contreras. So we had two Royals in the top eight. We have two Contreras in the top 10. And this technically isn't even the starting catcher for the Atlanta Braves. We'll get to that in a minute. He's an ADP 146. He played in 97 games last year, 20 home runs, two stolen bases, walked over 10% of the time, hit 278. Um, he caught in 60 games, outfield one game, DH 34 games. They wanted that bat in the lineup. Travis Darnold caught 99 games, DH6. They wanted his bat in the lineup. It's a very nice platoon where both guys get their love. 
And I could see William getting even a little more love because I think he didn't start the year in the bigs and still play that many games. Um, the talent's ridiculous. I'm a huge fan. The only concern I have, Toby, is he technically is not the starting catcher. So if the bat slips up, he'll lose DH chances. And then it gets interesting. And that's where it gets tough. But I think the bat's legit, too. Maybe not a two out to that batting average, but maybe a 250-ish. The power's there, though. So I'm still a believer, a big-time believer in William Contreras. But I will say there is a little concern if the bat slips, DH chances could leave. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's baked in to the price a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you got to ask yourself, like, straight up talent-wise, like, who would you rather have, William Contreras? And this is fantasy perspective, obviously. William Contreras or Wilson Contreras, right? I don't know, seems, William. Yeah, I mean, it I seems like William. the answer is kind of William. Like, the higher ceiling, pretty similar, like, overall um, repertoire um, with, yeah, like a, a pretty fantastic ceiling i think um to grow just because that ground ball rate is so um is so so high so yeah i mean i think that's baked in there a little bit you know the possibility for trades like braves seem to be angling towards sean murphy if he goes to like the a's then it might stay stay clear of him but But um, think about all those playing time yeah sean murphy had it's true it's true all park so yeah 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 i guess it'd be okay um so yeah yeah it's it's interesting but i mean he's got he's electric right i mean he's got great batted ball quality you can see why he has a higher than average babbitt just the way he hits the ball so i think dare node goes in the trade if murphy comes over that's Mm -hmm. my thoughts i think travis goes they get a veteran that they can control for a couple years in oakland it's like the perfect storm but uh yeah we'll see he doesn't always do the perfect storm so (laughs) we'll see see what happens in that one all right, for ADP 11 through 20, we'll hit on a couple guys we want to talk about here. Um, it's Sean Murphy, Cal Raleigh, Travis Darnode, Kyber Ruiz, Danny Jansen, Yasmani Grandal, Jonah Heim, Christian Vasquez, Logan O'Hop, and Gabriel Moreno. So that's 11 through 20, and there's some very viable fantasy catchers there still, or at least guys you can make cases for that you wouldn't be shocked if they kind of took a step high enough to be a very viable fantasy catcher. And that kind of preaches to the depth of position again. So I just want to mention one thing real quick on Sean Murphy, and I'll let you have the floor on your first one. We kind of hinted at it earlier on the games played. It's ridiculous what he did there. I just want to bring it to light again real quick. 148 games played, over 600 played appearances at catcher. And the only concern I have is if he gets traded, how does that play? Because in Atlanta, he won't, I don't think, get that much. Who comes to Oakland? Just something to keep in mind, like I mentioned earlier. But if he stays in Oakland, at ADP of the 11th catcher off the board with an ADP of um, 155, that's an interesting catcher too. I don't know if I trust him as my catcher one. Very interesting catcher too. Just wanted to bring that up. You could comment on that if you want, or I'll let you have the floor for your next guy. Um. Yeah. I mean, Murphy. I mean, he played a lot last year. Um. Let me just bring. Let me let me just bring him up. Um. Yeah, he played a lot last year. Everything looks fine. You know, slightly higher Babbitt than he would usually have, which may have impacted the batting average. Um, yeah, he looks looks fine. A nice little step up in contact. So, yeah, Always 44. Always hit the bar. Always hit the yeah, bar. 44 barrels. Mm-hmm. And he finished with 18 home runs. So, a lack of luck there, although you wonder how much of that is park-related. Let's see, in his career, he's got 89 barrels and 46 home runs. So, you know, he's a little bit unlucky there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's 
he's fine. And it'll be interesting to see if he goes to a, to a better team, you know, yeah. like you mentioned, like what, what happens there. Um, so the first guy I wanted to talk about was Danny Jansen. Um, I was, I was amazed. I had Jansen on a few teams and I feel like I dropped him like three quarters most, of the way through most, the season. Most people did, unfortunately. And, um, and, and I was like, he hit 260. What? He was not hitting 260 when I dropped him. 15 home runs um, in 72 games. <laughs> but I mean, he could be so good. I mean, with the opportunities and staying healthy, um, you know, there's a ton to like there. I mean, he hit 248 despite the 255 Babbitt. There's nothing that jumps out as being like absolutely outrageous. Like his home run per fly ball rate was relatively in line with where he is. He just hits a lot of fly balls. You know, he cut that strikeout rate. He's always had good plate discipline. He's always had good contact skills. You know, he showed all of that last year. Um, and then one of the things, you know, and, um, uh, you know, you combine like, for instance, his last two years, 2021 and 2022, you know, you get uh, 450 plate appearances or so, about a two- 40 batting average you get 26 home runs 66 rbi 72 or 72 rbi 66 runs like that's a fantastic line for a catcher um he's got it all like he's got all of the tools he just needs that playing time he just needs that health um so i like jansen a lot and then i look at like so looking at his catcher projection for this year it's like you know, he's one of the top players in home runs per plate appearance. He's one of the top players in runs per plate appearance from the catcher position. That is, he's one of the top players in runs per plate appearance. You know, he's got a slightly green walk rate. He's got a green K percentage green being he's better than league average, um, among catchers. Like even within stolen bases, he's higher, you know, than a lot of places he's, he's projected for 120 WRC plus. So as like an actual baseball player, he's like, he's good. <laughs> So, um, Danny Jansen is a player, um, who I, who I like a lot, liked him last year, gave up on him. I'm sorry, Danny. I'll go back to the well this year. Make me happy. Yeah. There's a lot to like with Danny Jansen. We talked about him like every year. We love Danny Jansen. He just can't stay healthy. He's a very good defensive catcher. going to keep him on the field and the bats legit. You mentioned the bad to, to bag average ratios. His ISO is great. He's everything about him. I love his <clears throat> His plate discipline, 17% strikeout, 10% walk. Like, there's a lot to love with Danny Jansen. So, big, big fan of his. Um, I just wanted to bring a quick note because the next guy we both like a lot. So, we'll get to him in a second. But so I'll bring up one more guy here is Jonah Heim. Keep an eye on Jonah Heim. When I wrote about him, the, the quickest thing I could say is he could be Cal Raleigh light because everybody likes Cal Raleigh because of what he does power wise, but his average sucks. And I don't see that changing tremendously. Um, Jonah Heim, 16 home runs in 127 games, 227 batting average. He showed uh, he showed some okay power throughout the minors, but usually better batting average throughout the minors. So that's something to think about as well. Um, when you look at um, the projections, they have for 14 and 235 in only 107 games. He played a t he played 111 of those games from uh, behind the dish, nine at DH. A lot of it was because Mitch Garver went out with an injury. Well, Mitch Garver, his batting average is like a he hasn't hit above I think 207 in the last four years. So sure, he can hit for power, but he's not great. Jonah Himes is a better catcher than him and actually a better offensive player than Mitch Garver. So I think Jonah Himes will be a lot of run there in Texas. And if he can go get you 130 games now because he's going to start the year at catcher or more, he could have another 15 to 20 home runs, hit for an okay average, you get him a bunch of picks later than Cal Raleigh. And it's just a guy I wanted to bring up that he's 
a young guy that could could potentially take another step as long as he you know gets the job and they don't give it to you know Sam Huff or whatever who got a lot of power as well. But uh, I think Jonah Himes are guys just to keep an eye on nothing crazy, but could slip in drafts and give you some late power at the catcher's position. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout too. I, I like I like Jonah Heim as well. Right. Um, and he's a switch hitter, right? Uh, um, I have a lefty. Right uh, he's a switch hitter. Yeah, switch hitter. Yeah, switch hitter. He's, oh, and he's huge. Six four, two twenty. Wow, almost as big. Almost. Almost as big as Tyler Stevenson. Yep. Uh, the next guy I'm going to talk about is not as big as those guys. No, but he has he has a big chance to break out. Yeah. Uh, Logan O'Hop is the guy, um, which probably isn't a surprise to a lot of people out there. Um, you know, we don't have a lot. Of, we don't have a big sample to go by with in the, in the big league. So I'll focus on the steamer projection that we have for him. And I will note, I will note that the steamer projection has been a little high um on uh on players who uh players coming from the minors um so i'll kind of um i'll kind of put that out there a little bit before i say that so this may be a little bit assertive but um logan ohop this is the projection for steamer has him at 267 plate appearances you know so 11 home runs um, so a better than average for catchers, home runs per plate appearance, 34 runs, 12.73% uh, runs per plate appearance, which is very solid um, towards the uh, the upper echelon of catchers and runs per plate appearance, uh, towards the upper echelon of catchers and RBI per plate appearance um, as well. Uh, same with walks. The strikeout rate is very low. It's been low throughout his minor league career, so he puts the ball in play. He also has a really good eye. He steals a few bases, three projected steals, um, and a 246 batting average, 118 WRC plus um, for OHOP. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, that's intriguing enough. I think with the Angels, uh, there's definitely um, uh, opportunity there. I mean, you've got Max Stassi who's there, but and let's be honest, the guy hasn't really been able to put it together. It's, and if he can hit... Bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I like, um, Ohop, if you play around with the plate appearances and instead of giving him 267, he's closer to 400, you know, then you start to get into some really interesting, um, territory. So, um, I like, I like Ohop. I, I see why people are being relatively assertive with him, you know, in the top 300 of ADP right now. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one thing I'll add on, like some, this was the guy we were both going to talk about and I love Ohop as well. Um, I really, really liked, I know super small sample, five whole games with the Angels, but between the Angels double A, Phillies double A, and the Angels in the pros last year, he had a walk rate above 12.5% at every level and a strikeout rate below 18.8. And uh, given those are the lowest, the walk and the Ks were the worst in the bigs, small sample. Just the fact he had that kind of play discipline throughout the entire season at all levels, I liked a lot. Batting average was good at all levels, which I liked a lot. Uh, he had tons of power in the minors. And we'll see how that continues to translate. But the bottom line is he's a very good pure hitter. And his plate discipline improved a bunch last year from the before. He was never a massive walk guy. Striker rate was always good, but the walks weren't there. The fact he starts looks like he's developing that throughout the minors, I think is a big plus as well. You put him in there in a lineup that he can learn from guys like Trout and Otani and some other guys. Uh, if he can somehow soak up some knowledge from them, which would be some of the best you'll find in baseball. This kid, I, I, I'm. This is all. This is not even good analysis technically, but I'm just saying, soak up talent from them. It's, a, it's. He could be a big thing, and the fact he's running ADP of 300, 
if he if we find out come spring he is the starting catcher, he is a top 280p, if not higher. Like he's going to balloon up that board because there's already a lot of hype as it is, but I think it's kind of just timid still. If he becomes the guy, it's gonna skyrocket. So one of the perks to early drafts, a guy like this, it could backfire, but uh he's one of those guys that could be tremendous for sure. Okay, now late round flyers. We got two each we will discuss here for you. So this is past the 20th catchers off the board. Anybody from 21 down, which means ADP of 313 down, is on the table. And I like both the ones Toby picks. We'll go back and forth. Toby, who's your first one you have picked here? Yeah, the first one I have is uh, Christian Bethencourt um, for the Rays. Um, A lot of this, I mean, last year he had 333 plate appearances. He had five homers, 252 batting average, five steals. Um, checks a lot of the boxes. I mean, the major concern is the O swing is, is a little out of control at 47.4%, but he's a hyper aggressive guy, um, makes it decent. I mean, the contact's low, but when you combine it, like the strikeout rate, isn't that high because he's so aggressive. Um, he's swinging so much. Um, so that's really nice. You look at the barrels, he had 28 barrels for those 11 home runs. So he was unlucky there. You know, the max EV is really nice. Like he, he makes really high quality contact. And so I think that's going to help him on a couple um, accounts, but the home runs per plate appearance should go up. The home runs overall should go up as long as he gets some run. And we know that he's played, you know, a variety of different positions. The Rays like to move folks around. Um, they also, you know, yeah. um, aren't, aren't, aren't that good at hitting. I mean, they're good at, they're a good, decent enough hitting team, but, um, there's not like a ton of, um, I don't think there's a ton of competition at this point in time, um, for him. Um, and they only have met 287 plate appearances with his steamer projection, 11 home runs, 32 runs, 36 RBI, three steals, a 248 batting average. So very, very solid. And that's like half a season. So, um, if he plays more then that's great. Um, if you can get him in there while he's running hot, you know, I think that's that's good. Swap him out with some other guys, but I really like um, I really like Bethencourt um, a lot. Um, so I think he's one of, if not the best value right now on 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 the board. Definitely one of them for sure. He reminds me a lot of Tyler Stevenson, honestly, um, because I think he's got potential to hit for a high average and see where it goes from there. But interesting thing with uh, Bethencourt when he's with the A's, fourteen games at catchers, thirty ones at first base, ten at DH. Goes to Tampa, 35 at catcher, only six at first base, one at DH. So mm. we'll see how a full season in Tampa works. Regardless, he's still playing. About the same amount of games played. So that didn't matter. But um, Francisco Mejia is there, and they like to still use him because his bat's not horrific, but it's not an everyday bat. And so it'll be interesting. But they want to get Christian's bat in the lineup, and they should. He's very, very good. So I like that value as well, especially you know post 300, like you said. Lots to like there. Uh, my first guy I'll talk about was the 21st catcher off the board. At pick 313 is Eric Haas. This is a guy I picked up in leagues, I think, every season now. I pick him up at some point, and then he produces towards the end of the year. And it goes back to what I talked about earlier. I have, I'm have i always powered efficient on my teams. You know, Haas hit 22 home runs in 2021. He hit 14 last year, but he hit 254. He improved his batting average 21 points last year, lowered his strikeout rate from 31 to 27, uh, 31-2 to 27-6, which I like to see quite a bit. And um, he actually caught a lot compared to, to usually. He had 84 games caught last year compared to 66 the previous year. 11 games in the outfield, 13 games in the DH. They play him all over the place. You know, we know the Tigers aren't the best lineup. They want to keep his bat out there. It's a very good bat. 
Um, I, I'm really curious if the uh, extra 20 games behind the plate affected, you know, the five or six home run difference from the two years. Like, did it really drain? Because it could. Catching that much can definitely drain your power. But even if he's a 15-plus home run guy and he gets for that 254 average at, pet, at post three thir- uh, pick 313, post pick 300, I like Eric Haas quite a bit. I think there's a lot of talent to like there. And they don't really have anybody else. Like, Jake Rogers is there. Um, you know, tra- tra- Tucker Barnhart's gone. So it's Eric Haas's job. And I think that makes him much more reliable come draft day this year compared to other seasons. Yeah, he was so good towards the back end of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's your second guy? Because this is a guy I had on like every DC team last year, and he reaped the benefits in the second half. Yeah, this is JTRJ. This is yep. uh, JTR yep. Jr. Here's your, here's your late round steals, folks. Uh, Nick Fortes um, yep. is the second one that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, the projection isn't that stellar for him. I mean, you know, uh, his plate appearances, steamers got him at 240, you know, eight home runs, four steals, 247 batting average. So not hurting you in that batting average, little bit of pop, uh, you know, little bit of speed. But if we kind of like zoom out a little bit so far in his major league experience, he's got 274 plate appearances. He's got 13 home runs and six steals. You know, so maybe there's a little bit development that's not showing in the steamer. Again, being a little bit on the, um, like one of the things that I'm also trying to think about is like, you know, is, is in later rounds, you know, going for those skills, like going for what could go right mm-hmm. versus, you know, that kind of, um, not like playing guy that's going to like play every day, but like go looking for those opportunities where guys can really outperform, you know, what their projection might be. And I think with Fortez, with the speed, there's that opportunity. I think also thinking about the Marlins and the context of them. Fortez is 26. I'm not sure how old Stallings is, but he looks really old. Yeah. So I feel like there's motivation there to give Fortez a pretty big, um, to see whether he's kind of their catcher of the future or not and can be kind of part of that young core um, that's coming up. And again, if he can continue to play at that level close to what he's done so far, you know, you could be looking at a guy who could go, you know, uh, 15 and eight, you know, um, things could, things could go well, you know, he's got 17 barrels in that amount of time, 8.7% barrel rate for those 13 home runs. So he's hitting the ball at a decent clip. You know, he's improving his catching is all right. At least his framing is. So I feel like, you know, again, if you bump up that projection from that 240. Um, to closer to 400, uh, 450, you know, then it starts to get a little bit more, um, more interesting. So Fortez is a, a guy I like who can provide a little bit of up- upside, a well-rounded profile, really, you know, low, relatively low strikeout rate. The batting average should be decent for him too. So um, I don't mind him as like a catcher too. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan. Big fan. I said I drafted him everywhere as like my third or fourth catcher in DCs, hoping he'd get his chance. Stay traded for Stallings last year for his defense because that rotation is so good. I think they realized as the season went on, we need some uh, hitting. And we saw um, Fortez ended the season with 59 games catcher, one at first base, 13 at DH. They wanted to get that bat out there. I think it'll improve even more this next year. So I'm with you on him. I think he's a, a decent catcher two option. If not in like, DCs, definitely snag him up as a catcher three because he's going to, it'll be a point where he becomes the guy. And I think he's going to have to be because they need to score some runs in Miami. So especially with the additions that have already been made today in the National League East, they're going to need to put up some runs if they want to compete. So I like Fortes quite a bit. I like that call as well. My second guy is one that I'm taking as a catcher three anywhere I can right now. 
I'm talking about my first one. I remember technically that way too early draft I did, but it's like my first current one. Just took him in a draft, and that is Indy Rodriguez. Big fan of what Indy Rodriguez is doing. And right now he has an ADP of do, 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 or I just put past him of four twenty nine point eight, so four thirty right now. He's a thirty second catcher off the board. And what's fun about Andy Rodriguez? He's never played in the bigs. Twenty two years old, AAA for the Pirates, but they have nobody at catcher. Like roster resources, not the end all be all, especially in early December. But he's projected to be the starting catcher, and in reality, if he has a decent spring. He could be the starting catcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like, it's a reality here. If not, at some point in the season, he's going to get a good run here. So it might be tough to take him in a redraft league right now, but you, I wouldn't be drafting redraft leagues if I didn't have to right now. But I like Andy Rodriguez quite a bit. 25 home runs across three levels of the minors last year, four steals. He's shown some steals upside over the last few years. Powers developed over the last two years. as it for a 290-plus average every year since 2019. Technically, since 2008, every year in the minors, outside of one little rookie ball stint with the Mets in 2018. He's been phenomenal. And what I love, I mentioned it with um, someone earlier, over an 11.7% walk rate of every stop he's had. And he's had a 20.8% or a 20% walk uh, strikeout rate in two stops. Everything else has been below that. So phenomenal plate discipline from a kid that's 22 years old. I know the minors are, are easier than the bigs will be and it might be a little worse. But like James Anderson, some very smart guys say, if they strike out a lot of the minors, they'll strike out a lot in the bigs. He doesn't strike out a lot in the minors, so if that you know seventeen percent turns to twenty four percent, you can live with that, especially with the hitting tools he has. I like what Indy Rodriguez has a lot. Um, Pittsburgh is not a great place to hit; I'm very aware of that. But at an ADP of like four thirty, I'm willing to take a chance on a kid. A kid. A kid. He's twenty two. Just started drinking a year ago. Um, could be a potential stud, and if it's not this year, in the coming years, his hit tools are that good. So I love the ADP for him in DCs in a PC fifties. He's a great third or even fourth at catcher if you go early on catcher. Uh, he's a guy I'm looking to snag anywhere I can right now. Yeah, I think that's a really great shout. And again, like Steamer's a little bit high on on prospects, but has uh, ND for two, four, 245 plate appearances, uh, nine home runs, 31 runs, 31 RBI, two steals. And I think one thing um, that you mentioned with the lower K rate is the um, batting average. It's got him at 262. You know, which puts him um, fifth uh, among all catchers um, in batting average, projected batting average from um, Steamer. So, and then you know a lot, a lot of green and yellowish green um, on his projection page in terms of the actual rates uh, per plate appearance. So again, like you mentioned, if he can become the starter, then I think there's a lot of possibility there. Yeah, it could be. Tremendous. All right, let's get some listener questions. You guys came through for us to start things off. I know there'll be more questions as draft prep continues on, but we'll start with our buddy. Who else would we start with except Dave Petruziello coming through here? Was just wondering why Toby has been so quiet on Twitter. He's been relaxing, folks. He's been enjoying his family and his life. I'll let you answer that. You want to answer that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been quieter on Twitter, I think, for like a couple years now, probably. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just... I'm just a lurker now, you know, I just go down there and look for news and stuff like that. Um, but, um, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I just been, I've been taking a break from fantasy baseball. I really haven't done like a ton of analysis, which you may have been able to tell, um, (laughs) through the podcast here will improve. I promise as we get, as we get closer to the season, I'm really missing having my projections and my spreadsheets, you know, cause all we have is steamer right now. So once like the bad and ATC and some other ones come out, I'll kind of put those together combine them. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of trying to hang out. I put, 
so much time, energy, and effort into fantasy baseball for six months of the year. You know, I just really want to wanted to take a break, and I'm still taking a break. I'll 100%. I'll get into it um, at some point, but yeah, that's my story. Definitely. And then he asks, "I missed on Toby's boy JTR last year, but I don't see 21 steals repeating on the wrong side of 30. But he got some extra wear on playing, uh, playing in, and he got some extra wear playing into November. I feel like." I feel that taking flyers and catcher is the way to go this year. Do you guys see it that way too? Toby likely does not. We kind of hit on that earlier. Like we still want one of the premier ones. We both already talked about JTR with all that DHing could be tremendous. Um, but I also agree there's tons of depth. So I don't, I'm not looking to punt the position, but I want at least one of the big guys. I'll say that much. And in big guys, maybe it's now the top five or six. I'll be honest. Cause if you, there's a lot of really good guys, but I want, I, I kind of want to leave with like two of the top 12 to 15. I, I want, that's my goal. But what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I still like them uh, high up at the top there. I mean, I think the key is also like there's always guys that pop out, you know, of nowhere. And the question is, are you can you identify them ahead of time? You know, um, are they going to be on your team? Are you going to be able to pick them up on the wire? Are you going to see that? Are you going to win the competition in fab if somebody starts out high? So there's all those questions, which is why I think kind of being um, – being aggressive early on and getting some of those guys that you can kind of lock in and feel comfortable and confident about, um, I think is, is, is very helpful. Definitely. Our buddy, Ryan roof from Rotowire. Who was the last catcher one you'd feel comfortable with in a DC for me? It's probably William Contreras. I'd still like a guy higher, but like the Alejandro Kirk and Jim Melinda's William Contreras Rome. Um, I, I could live with that. I would just make it a point to get a second catcher quickly. That's just where I would sleep, but I, I could live with that. What about you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I was looking at like MJ Melendez, maybe. Yeah. Um, Contreras is a good shout. I think for my catcher one, I, I probably want a little bit more, a little bit safer Stability. playing time. Yeah. Yeah. But I do like one of those, maybe, maybe those top five there, um, yeah. the JTR through Rutschman. Um, sure. Those are all. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like those those ones, but I think probably maybe Melendez. Yep, I like it. Uh, Richard Sands, our buddy, asks, go deep for DC drafters, which late post ADP 300 catchers do you feel comfortable rostering? We hit on Christian Bethencourt, Eric Haas, Nick Fortes, Indy Rodriguez. I think we're good on those ones. Is there anybody else that stood out to you? Because those are the ones that... Uh, post 300? Good. Yeah. You don't have to go deep right now. We hit four of them. Yeah, I would just say like, I mean, Elias Diaz is always interesting being in Colorado. Yeah having the bulk of the playing time, you know, underperformed a little bit last year, but you can always get lucky. I mean, one, one guy that I'll, that I'll, wait, do we get a, do we have a question about Alvarez? Uh, yes. Yes, we do. We got one coming we do. Up okay. I'll, I'll yeah. wait up on that then. I'll mention Bo Naylor. The Cleveland's looking to try to bring in a catcher with stinks. If somehow Bo gets the job there, that hit tool is ridiculous. So that's one of the key, but you, it's like you pay it 319 for him or you go 430 and go get Andy Rodriguez. I'll take Andy Rodriguez all day long. So that's the troublesome, but Bo Naylor's got a good hit tool. You just want something kind of blah, but it's consistent and will play a lot. Jose Trevino's at 390. The dude plays a lot for the Yankees and he's quasi productive. And then if you want a super punt, I'd say Luis Campisano from the Padres at 484. I think he's eventually going to get some run there because the more I looked at Austin Nola's numbers, you want to talk about boring, Toby? Like hmm. Luis Arias is more exciting than Austin Nola. Like it's, it's dropped off a cliff. So a copy saw I could get some run there too. Um, side retired pod asks what to do with Francisco Alvarez. There you go, Toby. What do you got? Uh, 
Well, he doesn't qualify in NFBC as yep. catcher. You tell only so, for now. He, he will uh, eventually, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I think Alvarez is super interesting. Super interesting. Um, super interesting. The Mets don't really have good catchers, you know, at all. So I don't think there's a lot of competition. They're a win now. Um, they're going. So I think Alvarez could be, yeah, I think Alvarez could be super um super interesting. Um, just like looking at his steamer again, Seaver is a little bit more aggressive. And and I say that, and what I mean by that is just that like this is one where I want to take other projection systems and and kind of combine them to to see what the the wisdom of the crowds of projections will uh think you know, these guys with, with, with small, uh, MLB samples will do, but steamer, you know, 305 plate appearances, 14 home runs, 38 runs, 39 RBI, um, across the board, he is, uh, pretty green, um, you know, in his home run per plate appearance, his runs per plate appearance, his RBI per plate appearance, uh, batting average isn't, isn't that terrific, but, um, the pedigree is obviously there. I know that some places have him as the number one prospect in baseball. So I think he's super interesting. It'll, it will be interesting to see what happens, you know, since he doesn't have catcher eligibility now, what does that do for what people are paying in drafts, you know, for him? Um, you know, does that ease up a little bit on, on, you know, it's just that like not recency bias, but like, knowing that you're going to have to carry him on your util or your bench for however long, you know, before he qualifies at the position that you actually want to pay with him. It doesn't seem like that would have that much of an impact when it's just 10 to games, but it really does, I think yeah. have an impact on folks. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's what I would, I would say. This ADP, Where does he, where, this ADP is at two fifty one right now. So you have to, you have to, okay. you have to pay for him. You're not just like getting the discount. Yeah. He's good. He's good. So I guess in a DC, knock on wood, it might be better. If he's a util for like a month, you can kind of finagle that. In a redraft, it's a little challenging, like you said. Yeah. For sure. Well, Toby, it's going to wrap us up, my friend. We're back. Oh, wow. We're back. Look at that. Any final thoughts as uh, we wrap up our 2023 catcher preview? The first, we'll obviously recap it later as we get closer to draft season or to the real season, but our catcher review preview. No, it's been fun. It's been nice to be back here with you, Bubba. And and as I kind of warm up and uh, get more into uh, into my analysis heading into the season, hopefully I'll be able to share a little bit more wisdom. And you had plenty of wisdom, my friend. Don't downplay, your, don't downplay yourself there. Plenty of wisdom. But it was fun. It was fun. And we'll be back next week doing first base, which is a not as fun as it used to be. I'll be honest, just in my rankings on first base, not as fun as it used to be. So that'll be a, a fun one to discuss for sure. It drops off quickly, but um, we'll do that. We'll do more. Keep the listener questions coming. Just, just don't draft Vlad Jr. That's the only thing that you can really be sure of. He's well, not my number one. He's not my number one ranked catcher. Let's put it that way. And ensure uh, your success. There you go. That means let's see if Toby can go two for two on this one. We'll, we'll see how fun this is. It could be another fun year. He I, might not, he, I he miss might not the tour of shame. Honestly, no, you like don't. no, you don't. I do. I really do. I don't miss like steering people wrong, but I really did enjoy this tour. That tour of shame. Well, we'll see how it plays out next week. We'll get Toby's hot takes on Vladito for twenty twenty three and much much more. Make sure you follow Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. I'm at BDentric. We're back, folks. We'll be back with you guys next week also with another episode of Bubba and the Batflip. Catch you guys later.